1: Uses is that when we do fight and we do have a battle that God is fighting for us and he's fighting with us. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 it says for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal fleshly but mighty in God from pulling down strongholds. Romans chapter 8 verse 37 he says yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors in Christ but more than conquerors through who?
0: You'll learn more about the answer to that question today as Pastor Eddie discusses this spiritual battle that's pressing in. You may be tempted to feel overwhelmed by all the opposition that you're facing. But don't forget, there are spiritual forces at work trying to convince you that you're low, that you're unworthy to do anything in this world. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the greatest champion on your side fighting for you. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 as he continues his message the good confession, and fighting the good fight.
1: the fifth thing we are to pursue is patience or perseverance, endurance. We need to pursue this in our walk with the Lord. Because how often we fall short, how often we fail, how often we grow cold, and we have no interest in the things of God anymore. We have no interest. Patience that enables the man and woman of God to stay the course. Sticking to it, when the going gets tough, no matter the cost, patience and then six, and finally, gentleness. Uh, another word for gentleness, if you're looking into Greek, is really meekness. And meekness does not mean weakness. Moses was called uh, the meekest man on earth, but he was by far be weak. If he killed another Egyptian and to lead two and a half million people, I find it hard to lead 12 people. Two and a half million people, he's not a meek man. I mean weak man. He is meek, but not weak. Meekness means power under control, power under control. And so now these virtues that we just read here, uh, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness are, are really, they're not valued in the world. The world doesn't care about this, but they're valuable to God, especially to the man and woman of God. If you consider yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, these are the things we ought to pursue. So it's not only for leaders, it's not only for pastors, for each and every one of us. Now in verse 12, Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on the eternal life. Now, a man and a woman of God, we are to fight the good fight of faith. And Paul is not promoting violence here. He's not speaking of a physical fight, but obviously there's a spiritual fight. We forget that there is a fight spiritually. We forget that we need to build ourselves strong spiritually in order to be be able to fight spiritually. That's a common, quite often we lose because we're not seeking the Lord. We're not spending time in devotion. We're not spending time in his word and in prayer. So we get weak. He's not talking about a physical, carnal fight, but a spiritual one. Now, the first word for fight, you see fight mentioned twice here, fight, the good fight of faith. The first word for fight here is slightly different than the second. And the word here in the Greek is agonazomai, agonazomai, and it means, we can almost say it in English, agonize, agonize is to contend, to struggle with agony, difficulties, and danger. And that's the kind of fight we're to have spiritually, spiritually, okay? I don't want you to leave churches. Hey, Pastor, he already said we're to fight. <laughs> Many times, there are a lot of false teachers, cults, that would take the word of God out of context and not understanding what it's speaking of. I came across a man who, you know, I was introduced at a, at a a neighbor's house, they had a little celebration for their family, for a family member, and he was supposed to be some kind of leader of a church, I don't know what kind of church, but he said, you're a pastor? Yeah, and he says, are you preparing your congregation? Oh, every day. I said, no, no, there's gonna be a war, there's gonna be a battle, and I said, oh boy, here we go. (laughs) And um, he said, yeah, I'm looking for property, and no, when the war comes, remind your people it's not the first war; it's the second war. Be ready, and that's why I'm getting ready. I'm I'm getting all my ammo and everything. I said, "Oh boy, here we go." Jesus said, "He who lives by the sword will die by the sword." Our battle is not with flesh and blood. Even the battles and the wars that we find in Scripture, especially in the old in the New Testament, talks about in the end times, we're not fighting. If you read your Bible well, and you study Revelation, it says, and the armies of God, clothed in white linen, are coming in white horses, right? And, you know, I like what John Corson calls, he says, the bride of Christ is the bride in combat boots. The church, we're coming with Christ, but we're not going to do a thing. We're just going to stand on a white horse looking pretty. And if you don't know how to ride a horse, that day you will, I promise you. And you're gonna, we're going to come in that battle. We, Christ is going to, just by his word, the very word that said light be, created light, created heaven, created the earth, is the very light that's going to destroy everything. He doesn't need our help. And so this battle here is a fight for the faith. It's a fight. It's a spiritual fight. And men and women of God, people of God, we're going to go through some difficult times. And it's going to cause agony. It's going to cause uh, some kind of suffer, pain and, and, and struggle but we must fight the good fight of faith. It's a spiritual one. It's not a fleshly one. It's not a cardinal one. And this is what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So saints, we're to fight And what are we fighting for? We're fighting for the eternal. It's not for the temporal. We fight here on earth. It's for the things here on earth that would perish and fade away. When we fight, we fight for the eternal. We're fighting uh, because we're focusing on heaven. We're heavenly bounded. And so it's a spiritual fight. And that's what we ought to fight. Stay the course. Pursue the things that Paul said pursue. Righteousness, godliness, love, faith. Pursue these things. And there is a battle. It's a spiritual battle. Good news is that when we do fight, and we do have a battle, that God is fighting for us, and he's fighting with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, but mighty in God from pulling down strongholds. Romans chapter 8, verse 37, he says, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors in Christ, but more than conquerors through who? Myself? No. Through the government's military? No. Through him, Jesus Christ, who loved us. We're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You remember when God called you. That's when you came to the cross and you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior. When did he call you? In fact, the scripture said he called you from the foundations of the earth, even before you were born. He called you. Even before you were, you were born, he called you from the foundations of when he laid the foundation of the heaven and earth. And it says in Ephesians chapter one, verse four, just as he, speaking of Christ, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy and without blame before him in love. And when he called us, we, we came to the cross, and we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior. It is there that we made a confession. We made a good confession, and we did it before uh, the, the Lord, and most importantly, but then we had uh, family and friends who were with us. They were with us, and they witnessed us coming to Christ. So it's a fight. Fight the good fight of faith, Verse 13, he said, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Before Pontius Pilate. You remember uh, the time when the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, asked Jesus the question and we find that in John chapter 18 verse 37 and in Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So we have an example of what it is to make that good confession. And the greatest example, the ultimate example is Jesus Christ. And he says, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, verse 14, he says that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, unto the Lord Jesus Christ appearing. So we're to remain faithful, keeping the commandment, not the commandment Paul is referring to. If we read it in context, he is referring to the commandment to stay away from false teachers. In verses 3 to 5 of chapter 6, when it comes to false teachers, what does he say? From such, withdraw yourself. Withdraw. You don't have to defend God. You know, there are people that think they have all the answers. If you have all the answers, what do I need to talk to you for? Why am I wasting my time? You share the gospel and you bring correction. Sometimes they don't want to accept the correction. Those are the people you just stay away and so keep this commandment. Remain faithful. Keep the commandment to Christ appearing. So we're to stay focused on the return of Christ, which is not temporal, which is eternal. His appearing is soon and very, very soon. We're just one year closer to the return of Christ. And we see that we've been morally bankrupt for decades, and it just keeps going. And we see how people are being destroyed. Families are being divided. Churches are being divided. Why? Because we're, we're watching the world. Our eyes are on the world, not on Jesus. Our eyes are on party, political parties. We look at the left. We look at the right. Christ wants us to look up. We're divided. And now we become medical experts. And, and, and that's bringing a division. There's nothing new. I look at the articles, nothing new, nothing new, nothing new. It's all the same thing. I'm not wasting my time on keeping my eyes on Jesus Christ. Christ's imminent return should motivate us to be without spot, to be blameless, and living a godly life. But we can't. Why? Because we fill ourselves with junk. <laughs> Social media, the news, there's nothing new in the news. They should take out the word new out of news. And so we need to fix our eyes on Christ. This is no surprise to God. You know, we're surprised, but God is not surprised. And if you study the word of God, you know it shouldn't be a surprise to you either. These things are going to happen. They will happen. People depending on the world, depending on governments. We need to fix our eyes in Jesus. He says that you keep, verse 14, this commandment without spot, blameless unto our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, verse 15, which he will manifest in his own time, in his time. No one knows the day or the hour, only he knows. He who is blessed and the only potent, meaning sovereign, he's the only sovereign, the king of kings and Lord of lords. That is the Jesus Christ we serve. There is none above him, none, none above God. No matter what their title is, king's, priests, in the past, present, and future, he is king of kings and Lord of lords. And that's who we know him. He is our savior. And one day, every knee will bow and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and savior. And it's best to call him Lord and savior now than later on. Later on, it's gonna be judgment time. It's too late. It's too late. Call him Lord and Savior now. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, Paul writes this, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name, speaking of Jesus, which is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth everywhere. That's talking about the entire universe that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is Lord of Lord and King of kings. again, very soon the world will know, every king, every leader, every, every president, every world leader would know that he is King of kings, Lord of lords. It tells us that at the end of the book. In Revelation, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, it says, and he, speaking of Jesus, has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I did not purposely put this in bold letter. That's how it's written in the Greek, in bold, in large caps. Verse 16, it says, who alone has immortality? In other words, he's not subject to death. Jesus is not subject to death. He died, but he rose on the third day. Man is subject to death. One day, we all know our birthday. We know it very well. We celebrate it every year. But one day, there's going to be another date that is not your birthday. It's going to be the end of your life. And only God knows that day. Only God knows that day. We celebrate the birth, and that's great. And we mourn at the end with the date. But that little dash in the middle that's on the tombstone is what's important. It would determine that what would happen when you're no longer alive, when your spirit leaves your body, when it goes before the Lord. We are subject to death, not the Lord. In fact, Jesus is not only uh, not subject to death, but he conquered death. When did he conquer death? When the tomb was empty. When he rose on the third day, which we celebrate that every day. <laughs> he said, dwelling in unapproachable light, Whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Such light with which Christ surround himself in glory, that even even the seraphims and the angels cannot, cannot look at the Lord. You think about that. Heavenly eyes and the angels. Now, angels got Christ did not die for angels, okay? Angels have no soul. Christ died for you. That's why the angels they study humanity, they study human, they're studying you. Why did Jesus, the creator created me, is so worried about these people? They're blown away. But even the seraphims, even their eyes, when we get to heaven we're gonna have holy eyes. That's why you can't go to heaven in the flesh. You have to have a glorified body. Otherwise you disintegrate if you stand before the Lord. You need a body like Jesus. Remember when Jesus appeared to the disciples when they were hiding after Jesus rose from the grave? You know, the disciples thought that they were after they crucified Jesus, they were gonna, the Roman soldiers were going to go after them. And so they boarded up the, the windows and the doors. And then all of a sudden, they're just waiting there. Then poof, there goes Jesus. <laughs> he didn't have to break through. He had a body, a glorified body that went through the physical material, the walls. That's the kind of body you and I are going to have. It's awesome. You want to go to Venus? There you are. But you got to make it to heaven first. It's a glorified body. Jesus says, touch my body. He said, for it is flesh and bone. And when we say flesh, automatically we say flesh and blood. Jesus didn't have blood because his blood was poured out in Calvary. We're going to have the same body. It's going to be a glorified body. And I know many of us just like me. If you're like me, when you wake up in the mirror, you want that body like now. <laughs> I want that body. <sighs> you know, I have to step on a stool. Yeah, I'll look good and a foot taller. <laughs> right? We're gonna have that kind of body. But when the seraphims in, in Isaiah chapter six, remember when when. King Uzziah died, and there Isaiah was like, Wow, where do I look? And he said, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And he saw seraphims. They had six wings, two that cover the feet, two to fly, and the other two was to cover the face. God was so holy that the seraphims with six wings would cover their eyes. The feet to cover the feet mean that they were humble themselves. And in the same way, this is the God that we serve. If we only knew, if we only saw Jesus on his throne, we see Jesus on the throne right now. That's why when John writes Revelation, you know, and he writes the book of Revelation, he, he realized, I, I felt as dead when he saw the glorified Christ. When he saw the angel, he thought he was something to be worshipped. He fell down. The angel wasn't an angel, actually. He said, Hey, I'm a fellow servant like you. Don't bow down, worship God. I like that song, If I Can Only Imagine. Because we always say, when I see God, especially the people who don't know God, they have no fear of God. It says, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell God. When you get to heaven, you're going to tell him nothing. You're going to fall flat on your face. They only know the glory and the power of God. But his eyes, we couldn't see him. And it says, to whom be honor and everlasting power. It's a doxology, it's a praise. And then he says, amen, amen. Now we're going to look at verses 17 through 19. Where Paul is going to uh, give tell Timothy to command those who are wealthy, those who are well off, they're considered rich, they're in the church. You know, quite often when it comes to money, we always think the rich are the ones that are sinning. Uh, I disagree. I disagree. I say the poor actually send more because the poor is going to want what the rich man has. The poor is the one that carelessly use their money to play lotto, have a dollar in a dream and think they could be a millionaire. The poor are the ones that covered what the rich have or not necessarily the rich, someone that has more. So we can covet. How many times we look at mansions and wow, I wonder what it's like to live there. I used to do that. Don't get me wrong. Now I'm looking at, wow, that's firewood when Christ comes and brings judgment. Wow. All those are going to be left behind. Stay by that house. Why? Because there's a rich. No, no. That's going to be good wood to keep you warm. Now, Paul already condemned those who were attempting to, to, to be rich. Remember, those who wanted to be wealthy. We looked at that in our last study. And I look at verses 9 through 10. He said, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men into destruction and perdition. Verse 10 For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. This is not only for the rich, this is for the poor the poor desire to be rich and will give up anything to be rich. So it's not so much if you have or don't have. It's where your heart is. But here in the church of Ephesus, there are believers because he's writing to believers. He's not going to write this to unbelievers who are wealthy because what good would the scripture be to them? Remember the rich man who came to Jesus? Jesus, what must I do to follow the young, rich ruler? Jesus says, well... Follow the commandments, right? He says, I followed them since I was a kid. He says, Oh, you followed them? Well, give up all you have and follow me. He, the rich man left disappointed because he has so much. And he said he followed the commandments, but he actually broke the first one. He didn't even make it a second base. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. His God was money. And so here's the commandment. Verse 17 he says, Command those who are rich in this present age. Now obviously, it's applicable for us to not be haughty. In other words, don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. Don't be high-minded. It says, nor to trust in uncertain riches. You can't trust money.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today here on Running the Race. Pastor Eddie's been taking us through the book of 1 Timothy in this series, which is found in the Pauline Epistles. Within its pages, you learn everything there is to know about becoming a pastor and leading a church during the final years of Paul's life. He knew he wouldn't be around forever, so he penned instructions that would serve future generations of pastors. God used Paul to begin his church and to serve as a role model to those who follow him. If you're looking for help applying this to your life, Here's Jessica with an invitation just for you.
2: We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com.
0: Thanks, Jessica. What a great invitation for those in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area. For the rest of us, remember that you can find more messages from Pastor Eddie on that same website, runningtheraceradio.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're excited to learn more from the book of 1 Timothy. For today, our time has come to an end, but we'll be back again next time, and hope you will too, to hear Pastor Eddie share more from this great book of 1 Timothy, here on Running the Race.